Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. There's a bar right around the corner that has a lot of scotch. I would say that if we did it, we should record a podcast, but that would be very, be very drunk, very dangerous. <laughs> yes. If we got Head a yeah. <laughs> heavy editing, <laughs> I feel like a two hour record and we have 30 <laughs> seconds of it. Yeah. Here's a drink. Here's your drink. Yeah. Tab, please. That's it. That's all you hear. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for joining me. I'm Evelyn, the creator and host of Reppin. I created this show because I wanted to have a place where authentic and meaningful conversations can take place. It's so important to see one another based on who we are, not on the superficial things. It's about someone's integrity and character. What are they about? And do they exemplify the values they say they hold? I have been so lucky to have the amazing, talented people who have guested so far. They're all so accomplished, leaders in their genre, but they're also amazing people. Their time, trust, and stories have been such a gift. Now, when I started this show, I didn't anticipate how much their stories would help me personally. Please know, I don't have the answers. I'm just trying to find my way like everyone else. And I've gone through my fair share of difficult and painful moments, times where I wasn't sure how I was going to get through. And those experiences have had a lasting impact on me. But what has helped have been my guests, their insights, experiences, and ultimately their person. It's helped restore me in many ways. And I've learned so much from all of them, like from my next guest, who's an Army veteran, burn survivor, actor, motivational speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and host of an incredible podcast called Rebirth. His life was forever changed. When he was in Iraq, his Humvee went over a roadside bomb and he nearly died. He suffered major burns on his body and face. Today, he's sharing some of what he's learned, like how to heal and find hope during some of his darkest times. He is an incredible, positive life force. Please welcome the Ash Shaken Season 13 Dancing with the Stars champion, J.R. Martinez. JR, thank you so much for being here. I am having the best time with you already. I don't even want to do the podcast. I just want to go throw it down with some booze. But how have you been doing? The world's in a crazy time. How have you been doing? Thank you for that question. I think it's one of the questions that we fail to ask each other and authentically mm. ask it. I think that prior to the world two and some years ago, we were so conditioned to be like, how are you doing? And not really necessarily care about the response. We were so conditioned to be like, that's just a polite thing to do. That's just a proper thing to do. And then the thing that we're conditioned and taught that we're supposed to do is while you're venting and sharing whatever it is, we're just, okay, okay. I really didn't care. I was just more asking the question out of decency, but (laughs) okay, cool. I guess we're in this and I got to go. And I feel like in the last couple of years, it's been so refreshing when somebody starts a conversation simply by saying, no, how are you doing? 
how are you holding up? Like for real, like I'm being honest, spill it, let me know. And it's a great question that we should be more comfortable asking and comfortable answering at the same time. So for me, listen, not to get too deep into this, but it was a struggle. I think for a lot of people, it was a challenge in the last couple of years. And it was a challenge for me to see where we were going as a society, not as a nation, as a world. And the way we were essentially dismissing one another, the way we were. But I believe for me personally, it gave me a lot of opportunity to reflect prior to COVID. My world is I'm a I'm a speaker. I'm always on the road. I'm doing easily 40 to 60 events a year. I'm gone a lot. So I found myself prior to COVID feeling like, oh, I'm a little bit on autopilot right now. My team will reach out to me and say, hey, here, 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 here. And I'm like, cool, go, 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 go. And I stopped connecting to some degree with people Mm. because I was just so conditioned that the minute I got done with one event, I just moved on to the next one. And then it just became events were just another event, another one in the column of an Excel spreadsheet that this is another number of events that he did. During the last couple of years at the height, what it did is it forced me to pause and take a step back and just say, what matters to me? Mm -hmm. I've been conditioned to believe that... uh, even I know better, but the, I've been conditioned to believe that the definition of success is by me pursuing 40 to 60 events a year and making X amount of dollars a year and doing this kind of an event and that kind of event. And the reality is I just, I was like, that's not what matters to me anymore. Right. I was home with my daughter. I was home with my wife. I was home with my family. I was able to work with my daughter in her softball game and spend that quality time with her. And so now coming out of it, I think I have more clarity mm-hmm. and I'm not going to necessarily can continuously suffer from the, what I like to call the pinata effect. And what I mean by that is we've all seen a pinata either at a party or the viral video of a pinata get busted open or somebody taking the bat and hitting somebody else versus the pinata. Yeah. But if you've ever seen a piñata at a party, as soon as that thing's busted open, you see a bunch of kids run in and just grab whatever they can and they run away with it. Yeah. They don't even know what they grab. Like they just grab. And I believe that's what we're conditioned to do as people. We're just conditioned to just grab, do, be busy. And then we don't even know what we're busy with. We don't even know how effective we are. We don't even know if we're making an impact or why we're doing it. Yeah. All of that's gone. We're just too busy. Like we got to have as much as we possibly can in our hands at one particular time. And so for me, I feel like the last couple of years has really forced me to kind of reflect on what matters to me. I'm not going to sit here and busy myself with 50 different things. Right. I'm going to find myself doing a few things and I'm going to do them well and I'm going to love them. And if that means that I make a little bit less this year, if that means that I do a little bit less events, fine. Okay. But the long run, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better friend. And I hope I'm a better advocate and voice for just people in general that are just trying to navigate the same world that I am. Yeah. That's a lot to get your arms around. It's interesting for me to hear you say that this was a time of reflection for you. And you're a human being like everyone, right? We're all caught up in the day-to-day grind and noise. And that makes sense because it's a tough world we're living in and we have to survive. We have to make money. We've all been indoctrinated to have things. Mm -hmm. I don't know what those things are, but we have to have them. And I love the pinata example. But it's interesting for me to hear you say that this has been a time of reflection for you. And I'm going to paraphrase and correct me if I'm wrong, JR. Clarity, after everything that you have gone through, I would think that would be something that slow down and see what 
matters, what doesn't, that you've been through that process many times. Now, before we get into that a little bit, I want to put this in the context for the listeners. You were in the army, which by the mm-hmm. way, thank you so much for your service, sir. I appreciate that. Thank you. You joined, I think in 2002. That is correct. And even before this, you joining the army, your life has been very, there's been a lot going on in your life. Your mom, Maria, was an immigrant from El Salvador. Mm -hmm. You had two sisters that unfortunately passed, so you never really got a chance to know them. So you, like me, are an only child in many ways. Mm -hmm. You joined the army, and then when you went to Iraq, I believe, Mm -hmm. you were in a Humvee, and take it away, just set it up. I guess my question to this is not to rehash necessarily what's been well covered, which is that you are a burn victim. Mm-hmm. You almost died. You went through th- over 34 surgeries. All right, correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong. I guess my question is, we all have internal strife and moments within ourselves where we have dialogue of uncertainty mm-hmm. and challenges. Can you share some of those private moments where you were just not sure? or you were just having a tough time, and what turned the corner? There's a lot of those moments, a lot of those moments. In the last 19 years, since that day in 2003, yeah. I, I still have them to this day, because as you, you started off with, I am human. The, the challenge was, is that when I was overseas in Iraq, and, and during the invasion in March of 2003, um, 19 years old, at war, there's nothing that really prepares you for that. And you can do extensive amount of training, but yeah. nothing's really going to mentally, emotionally prepare you for that. Physically, maybe, but not men- mentally, emotionally. Right. And I, I just had to rely on the people around me, the people that I felt that had been in situations before, had been in combat situations, had extensive training. I just had to rely on them. And needless to say, it got to a point where on the 5th of April of 2003, just three weeks into my deployment, I'm driving a Humvee through a city car, Carballo, and the front left tire ran over a roadside bomb. I was the driver, three other troops in a truck with me. The other three were thrown out of the truck from the explosion, but I was trapped inside. And I was trapped inside for five minutes, completely conscious, screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs for someone to please come and pull me out. And there were plenty of moments throughout those five minutes where, of course, as you can hear, anybody will tell you if they can recall the moment that their lives were forever changed, they'll tell you whether it was one minute that they were completely conscious or five minutes or even more. God forbid. I hope that's not the case because that's that's painful in itself. But when you really start thinking about time, if we stop for a second. Right now, the listeners are like, oh, that was like a minute. No, it was 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> like when we like stop and really pay attention to time, you start to realize like you have so much of it to think of everything. Right. And I can tell you that in those five minutes, I had several moments where I just felt like, let go, man. Just let go. It feels good to close your eyes. Just go. It is what it is. And in those moments, then say to myself, no, I can't let go. I can't just do that. No, no, I'm not. And I would just open my eyes and I would continue to scream and yell at the top of my lungs for someone to come and please pull me out of the Humvee. Finally, they did. Five minutes later, and it started the medevac process. I ended up in in San Antonio, Texas, where the burn center is for the military. And I was in a medical-induced coma for three weeks. When I came out of that coma at the age of 19 still, the first thing was that they were like, Specialist Martinez. And I was like, I'm not a specialist. And they were like, what do you mean? And I was like, because the specialist, you know, is, is a higher ranking than what I was. And I was like, I'm a private. And they're like, 
no, it says here you're a specialist. I was like, no, I'm a private. I'm an E1. And they're like, you've been, you were promoted to E4. And I was like, that's all it took? It felt like in a few minutes, I was like promoted from E1 to E4. And I was like, so how much more money does that make? And they're like 200 bucks more. And I'm like, ah, okay, I'll take it. I'm single. I'll roll with that. But the challenge that I experienced was the fact that when I saw my face and my body, I immediately identified that I had lost the identity that I'd known for 19 years of my life, meaning my physical appearance, the way I looked. I had a relationship like we all do. We look in the mirror every single day. You recognize that a person. Right. And then also, too, when I was in the military, I started to think to myself, maybe I'll do this for 20 years. I kind of like it. And I started plotting. I'm going to go to this school and be this kind of soldier and this kind of soldier. And then my injury happens. And then they tell me, you're not allowed to stay in the army because of your injury. So you're going to be medically discharged. So for that reason, I immediately, within the first couple of weeks of coming out of this coma, both of my identities were taken away from me. As you can imagine, that's a challenging thing for a kid, for anybody to go through. People are constantly losing their identities, their job that they've been doing for X amount of years, a relationship that they had for X amount of years ends. They lose somebody, they lose something like phases of life ends. Right. And it was a struggle. It was a struggle for a very long time. And I could tell you and just summarize this a little bit is after a few weeks of being in this negative space, my mother and I were having a, a really heart to heart conversation in my hospital room. You know, I just kind of just cried out to her and just, why? You know, that question again, why? And she said, I don't know why this happened. I don't know. But I'm asking you to do is just try to be positive. Try to be that kid. Try to believe that something good will come from this. And in that moment, I was willing to listen to her, not hear her. There's a difference between the two. And I decided in that moment, all right, I guess I'll try it out. Let me listen to her. And I just tried it. And literally... I was able to like manage and cope every morning when I woke up. This is how trippy, and I'm going to go somewhere for a second. This is how trippy, like what I was exposed to. Take me there. Let's go. Starting my day after this conversation with my mom. So I made the decision, you know, no matter what, I'm going to start the day on a positive note. There was a point about six to eight weeks into my recovery where I was now a little bit more mobile. I was able to sit up because I had to learn how to walk, feed myself, bathe myself, do everything. Right. And I remember in the morning waking up and starting to the, the movement to sit up and I couldn't. There was a little resistance, like pulling, like on my head. Like I could just feel it on the back of my head and I didn't, couldn't tell what it was. Mm-hmm. And I just kept pulling. The first time I just kept pulling, pulling. Then finally I was able to break free from the, the pillow. And I sat up. And I turn around and I look at what was it that was keeping me from sitting up so easily. And literally a a piece cartilage. Oh, God. From (laughs) I told you I was going to take you there. It's all good. I'm going to tell you now before we have the scotch. So that way, because you had the scotch. Okay. I don't want you to. uh, I don't don't want you to waste that scotch. Like you you pay a lot of money for that scotch. And I don't want you to waste it on the floor. In New York, especially. (laughs) Exactly. So literally my left ear, I lost my left ear and it wasn't, it was literally the cartilage. And because I was sleeping in that position for so long. Oh shit. Yeah. It, it, it became essentially in the pillow, in the pillow. And I would turn around and I would see it. And instead of freaking out, I would just, whoa, that's crazy. And I just remember that's 
like somebody's like tripping right now. Whoa, my ear yeah. is on a pillow. Right. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I like to refer to the day that I was injured as my rebirth. I believe that is the perfect example to exemplify this rebirth because I believe I was literally like a snake or some crazy reptile. I was shedding a part of this surface layer and this internal layer of what I believed I was and what I thought I was and what I wanted to be. I was shedding that because life said, no, you're not going to be those things. That's not what you're intended to be doing. And I was learning how to like respond to it. And literally when I would see it, I would still say to myself, okay, that's crazy. And it happened a few other times. Like it, it, it wasn't a one-time occurrence. It happened a few other times. And I would just, again, sit up. I'd turn around and look and be like, wow, that's trippy. And my perspective was every morning, yes, my ear is on the pillow, mm-hmm. but I'm alive. I can see. I can speak. I have my limbs. I am becoming more mobile. And there's a lot of things to be positive about. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean that immediately I flipped the switch and it was just on all the time. No, right. I had plenty moments where I was, I spent almost three years in a hospital recovering. And then those three years, when I got out of the hospital, I was 22 years old. So I turned 20, 21, and 22 in a hospital. And there were plenty of moments where, and I think when you look at the adversity and the challenges that we experience as they are moments, they're moments, mm-hmm. they're phases, right? There's like, seasons, whatever phrase you want to put on it, that's what it is. Right. For me, there were plenty of moments where I just, I would be angry. I would be so mad, so angry. I'd scream in my room and I'd cry and I, you know, would fight the invisible, you know, enemy that was in my room. And and I just, I did that so often. But the thing was, is that what allowed me, I believe, to get out of that phase and discover other elements is that I just said to myself, I'm not going to stay in this room. The answer to what I'm looking for is not in this room. And I would make a conscious decision to just leave my room, leave the space that I'm in, the space that I feel isn't bringing me anything positive, good energy. Okay, cool. I needed to cry. I needed to get that out. I needed that emotion off of my heart and my mind. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, let me go out to the world and see if the world can give me what I really need. Mm. And literally all I would do is walk outside of my room all of a sudden I'd run into a friend, run into somebody else. I'd have this this experience and I would be in a better place. What that did is that conditioned me to believe, again, everything is about moments. Everything is about phases. So I can have this shitty moment, but then if I'm willing to put myself and make myself open to the experiences and pay attention to society and the world around me and be open to receiving, it'll give me what I need to get through this moment, to create a positive moment But I also know that's the way life works. It's going to come back around where I'm going to have another one of those moments. But because I've already applied this simple principle, when that shitty moment presents itself again, I'm already going to know what to do. I'm going to be ahead of it because I'm like, oh, I know what this is. You've been practiced. I've done this. It's almost no different than somebody that has to take some sort of medication for, I'm trying to think of an example, but like the more that they go through it, the more they're like, oh, no worry. I just got to take this or I just got to do this. No big deal. Boom. They get ahead of it. They can feel it when it's coming right. and they can start preparing. Like you said, you're practicing. So for me, it was just a matter of, I was just frequently practicing, finding myself out of that funk and allowing myself to be open to the world, giving me what I needed in that moment. 
Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. So many questions. First of all, a really inappropriate question is where that pillow at? Oh, I wish that I wish that pillow was like in some sort of museum or something it like be that. In case that like that next to your Wheaties box that I see I, right behind you, it should be a pillow with your ear on it next to the Wheaties uh, box. Wouldn't that, that be gangster? That would be so badass. Imagine so going to a, a wax museum. <laughs> Sorry, I had to ask that. Like you know, here's Samuel Jackson's whatever. Here's whomever, and then there's Jerry Martinez, winner of Dancing with the Stars, ear. People are like, what? Honestly, I'd be way more into that than Sam Jackson, with all due respect to Mr. Jackson. So I needed to, I was just so curious about that question. But here's the thing that I really wanted to go back to for just a second. You said it all so beautifully, but I don't want to gloss over how fucking hard that must have been. Any one of those moments that you just described. Yeah. So, for example, when you're in the shitter, like not even dealing with an iota of what you were dealing with, the loss of identity with jobs, with a breakup, with a loss of a loved one, when you lose your identity for whatever reason, it is devastating. You have no idea where you are, who you are, or what to do. It's so disorienting. I cannot imagine the level of that that you felt because you were dealing with the physicality of it all. You were trying to recognize who you were looking at and also internally struggling with that. That notion of listening versus hearing, which again, I am wholeheartedly on the same school of thought with you, JR, is stratospherically different. There's a huge difference between hearing and listening. How were you able to do it in that particular moment when you had so much other psychological, emotional, physical adversity that you were trying to get your arms around and just the devastation of being hit with an IED? Mm -hmm. Look, you and I talked a little bit offline. People have forgotten how to listen mm -hmm. versus hear, right. even on their day-to-day, -day, not dealing with a fifth of what you were dealing with. In that particular moment, you were devastated on so many levels. How were you able to make that distinction of, let me listen to what my mom is saying to me versus hear? Because I realized the revolving door that I was going through over and over in the last few weeks of being in this space was not creating any sort of solution for me. Meaning, so after I fell into this space of depression and anger and every other negative emotion you could think of, I just kept, again, going through this revolving door right. where I was just circling, circling. I would cry and I would just tell everybody I wish they would have left me in the Humvee to die and right. I wish I was dead. That's just what I kept repeating. And then my mom saying what she said to me, it just kind of was like, shit, what else do I got? I might as well try that. So it was almost essentially like one of those, okay, what else do I got? I don't right. have anything else. I might as well try this because I knew the, the space that I was in, I did not like. I knew what I was doing myself was not working. And so I was like, I might as well start trying someone else's recipe. It was more of like, okay, cool. We'll see if this works, mom. Right? Oh, like, gotcha. it's like, we'll see if this works. Right? Right. And I literally start making the conscious decision every night before I go to bed. And what I realized I did is I essentially, I let go of the long-term thought process of what I was going to be or what my life could be. For example, the first two to three weeks after I was injured, when I was in this negative space, I kept overwhelming myself with thinking, 
I'm never going to have a girlfriend. I'm never going to have a wife. I'm never going to have the opportunity to start a family. Look at my face. Who's going to want to hire me? What job will I have? Will I even be able to walk down the street and people walk on the same side of the sidewalk with me? Like That's where my mind went. What I was doing was overwhelming myself with all of these fears of things that may or may not happen. Right. And what I realized I ended up doing is I just focused on the short term. I just went back to the basics and I just focused on surviving today. If I just focused on surviving today and I took that body of work and just focused it micro versus macro, mm. it was a little bit easier for me. So now looking back 19 years later, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And I still apply that principle today yeah. when COVID happened and all of a sudden, like everybody's world was stopped. I get that. But when my events as a public speaker, I am always on the road. When I started getting events canceling in May of 2020, summer of 2020, the fall of 2020, right. the rest of 2020, people on my team, including my wife, were like, what the hell? What are we going to do? And and I was just like, I can't focus on long-term. I, I can't focus on what I cannot control. I'm going to focus on what I can't control. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to figure out how I can use this technology that I have in my house that most of us have. Right. We have access to a camera. Mm -hmm. Most of us have a microphone. And if not, you got one built into the device you got in your hand right now. And there is Amazon.com. Exactly. And I was like, how am I going to connect with people? And that's literally where my mind went to. I'm not going to focus on the long term. I'm going to focus on the short term. And in the short term, what I need is I need to take a second for me. And the second thing is I need to just figure out how I'm going to survive this day. That's what I did. And because I focused on today and the technology and all this other stuff, by the summer of 2020, my agents now were calling me saying, hey, can you do virtual stuff? People want to do virtual. And I was like, yeah. I, I got lights and I got a microphone and I, I don't have Wi-Fi. I have an Ethernet connection. Why? Because I want more reliable like internet. It's insane, right? Like you're such a nerd. I am. Yeah, I am too though. I love it. I changed it. every freaking light in my house to LED. You're perfectly lit. Like nice, even color. I'm the one that's off color at this point. But yeah, I hear you. But that's the thing that's so incredible is people lose sight of understanding the nuances between listening and hearing on a day-to-day -day basis when everything is quote-unquote status quo. And here you are trying to essentially reboot your entire life and getting your arms around just your entire world being devastated, literally. And I've done it multiple times. This notion that like, how many of us have stayed up late at night seeing one of those craziest infomercials as a one-time payment? And it's, it's not a one-time payment. By the time you go through the process to check out or you call and they lure you in, right. the five payments of $19.99. It's like $2,000 later <laughs> exactly. for, for like a fucking chicken thing. And you're like, why did I buy this? Oh, set Wait, it and forget this, it. Why do I need it? This is a thing that like I plug into my wall and I put my coffee mug on it and it keeps it hot. Yeah. How much does this damn yeah. thing cost that I forget that stove. I even have? Yeah. <laughs> It's insane. it's insane. But this notion that we have to make one decision in life and one choice and we overcome one thing and we're good. Not true. That's completely false. Yeah. No. The one thing you overcome essentially, as you said earlier, is practice because life is going to present you with other things. And so I can tell you that I would have these moments where I would be tested and I would practice what's going to help me get through this and I would get through it and I would come out on the other side and I'd be able to ride that positive wave for a second. 
And then when I got out of the army, got out of the hospital after almost three years at 22, and I got into the world and I had this clear vision of what it is that I wanted to do in the world. And I wanted to be a speaker. I felt like I had life things to share with people that I wanted to talk about. The more I went to people and asked them for opportunities, these are people, literally, some people came up to me at the hospital and would say, here's my card. If there's anything I can ever do for you, you call me. It's not my my personality to reach out and be like, hey, can you do something for me? I was raised and I was conditioned being Hispanic and I had a lot of responsibility yeah. when I was a kid. You just do it yourself. Yeah. Cultural expectations are huge. Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm not reaching out to anybody. But eventually I realized oh, I probably should. I guess they said it. They opened the door. Right. And I reached out to a few people and we we had meetings. And I, I can literally notice that while I was speaking and telling them, what I wanted to speak about, I can see them going off into different places mentally. I can see them almost like fidgeting. Okay, when is this over? Okay, we got things to do or whatever. And at the end, a lot of people just said to me, you're just a, you're a veteran. You're a disabled veteran. Why don't you talk to other military people? And I'm like, you don't get it. Yeah. You don't get it. And, and, I, and I think one of the reasons why that was so difficult for me one of the reasons was when I was 17 years old, I proposed for us to leave Hope, Arkansas, where we lived at the time, and move to Georgia. Mm-hmm. I proposed that at 17. And my mother was like, she was against it. She was like, no, she had a job, a stable job, et cetera. And she was like, okay, I'm willing to listen to you. She literally said, okay, tell me about this plan. I'm willing to listen to you. And literally, we were able to, like, she trusted me. Right. She listened to me. The second time was when I told her I wanted to join the army, she was like, no way in freaking hell. Why? Because my mother being from Central America, El Salvador, Mm -hmm. to be exact, in the early 80s, there was a civil war going on. So she knows what war is, what it does to people. As you alluded to, one of my sisters had passed away. So my mother has lost a child. Then I graduated high school in 2002. We as a country were currently at war. Yes. So she knew if I joined the military, I was going to go to war. Right. And the chances of her losing another child, her Would only be son. very possible. Yeah. So she was like, no, you're not. But again, I said, hold on, just listen to why I believe it's the best thing for me to do at this point in my life. And she was willing to sit down and listen to me. And at the conclusion of this conversation, she was like, okay, if that's what you want to do. So my mother has always exemplified this really amazing trait of being a great leader, not a manager, not a micromanager, but a leader in a sense of where she was like, I give you the floor. I listen to you and then I'm going to trust you. And then let's, all right, let's do it. What happened was the moment that I got out of the military and I got into the real world, because now this is my first introduction to the real world, Right, people aren't listening to me. So now I'm like, wait, wait, that's not what's supposed to happen. That's why I'm very careful and conscious as a parent now, as much as I want to give those skills to my daughter, I also want to prepare her. The world is not going to treat you the way that your mother and I treat you. The world is not going to be like, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Yeah. The world is not going to do that. My mother didn't prepare me for that part of it. So (laughs) there was this constant rejection. And then there was this constant boxing, similar to this platform that you and I are in right now, where you're in one box, I'm in another box. Yeah, that's society. And the crazy thing was, is my identity started to become what I heard other people refer to me as. Yes, that's the rub. That's the struggle. And people referred to me as, you're a disabled veteran. What did I start telling people when I introduced myself? Hi, I'm a disabled veteran. That's not what I am. 
that's not what I am. Like yep. I'm so much more than just a disabled veteran. So when people hear that, they hear disabled, which already has a negative connotation associated with it. Right. And then veteran, which is confusing because it's like, what does that mean? What skills do they have? Mm-hmm. We don't understand that world because that really is a completely different world. Right. And so I took on this identity. Mm-hmm. And when I started to get this constant rejection where people just said, you're just a veteran or you're a veteran. Why don't you talk to just military and veterans? I stopped telling people I was a veteran. I stopped telling people that I was because I was like, if this is the thing that's getting people to just box me in and not give me an opportunity for more than what they see, then I'm going to stop telling you that's what I am. If it comes up later, it comes up later. And that's an unfortunate thing that something I'm so proud of that I did that I essentially was like, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to be proud of it because I believe it's limiting me in mm. some way, shape, or form. Mm. But it's not because of me. It's because of your inability to listen to what it was that I was really saying to you. Yeah. But unfortunately, it, it's almost like when you're, you know somebody where they you get into this little raft or whatever, and somehow they find a way to make you feel like you were the one that was wrong and crazy this yeah. entire time. And you're like, yeah. wait, what? You're being gaslit completely. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Just to be devil's advocate just a second, I'll just say you can... And I know you're proud of serving, but the unfortunate thing is we are fed a lot of outside messaging or no, not just fed. It is beaten into us (laughs) (laughs) about a thousand times a day. And it takes quite a lot of internal strength and awareness and the ability to slow it all down, to be able to separate who you are and all the different things that you are Mm -hmm. versus what you're being told and the box that we're being put in. That's one of the many threads of my podcast, right? Even as we speak, yes, I know you're a motivational speaker. Yes, I know you're an actor. Yes, I know you shook your moneymaker on Dancing with the Stars and won. (laughs) And you're fucking kicking ass on many different fronts. But even that, I come to you knowing that is still not who you are. It is very big parts that make JR who you are. But JR to me is the everyday person and what JR does in the world every single day. Mm -hmm. That is why I'm having these conversations with you. It's not, you're not defined by one thing. The unfortunate thing is society is very good at putting all of us in specific boxes and categories. And then there's the rub between what we know to be true mm-hmm. versus what we have to contend with being told. Yeah. Here's the trippy thing, right? So I struggled with that for a couple of years. And listen, to, to be completely transparent with you and your audience, when I started to experience a lot of this, I was 22. I didn't know how to cope. I started drinking. I became angry. I became a really reckless kid. I put myself and, and other people. You're 22. 22, 22, 23, 24 when, years you old. You know, hell and back. Yeah. And, and I was just struggling. And the, the turning point for my life was when I was, I had just turned 24. And my best friend literally one day told me I needed to cry. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you need to cry, man. You got all this stuff pent up. You need to cry. You've healed physically, not emotionally, mentally. You need to cry. I just remember sitting there in his car and I was like, dude, I don't need to cry. What are you talking about? And all of a sudden I'm fucking crying. I'm like, I don't even know why I'm crying. You like, like, like hypnotize me and I'm crying and I'm not laughing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was just like, it, like the floodgates opened up, man. He's a good friend. Honestly, the, the few things that came from that interaction was one, me understanding and learning that I can cry in an uh, open space, a public space, but mm-hmm. I can also cry with another human being. I can cry with a man and yes. not be judged. 
then I can tell another man, I love you because that experience literally changed my life. And from that, then I get an audition to become an actor on a soap opera. And I, all my children, all my children, yeah. shout out to all the fans, Go. all the soap yeah. fans. I loved all my children, loved my time there. And I remember like getting on that show and they were like, it's going to be three months. And I was like, cool, three months. I'll rock this shit for three months. Three years. And it turned into three years. And the thing is that show started to give me the opportunity to discover who I really was, what I was capable of. It started to allow me to push the boundaries of this box that people were putting me in mm. and allow people to start to see me as the character that was on maybe their favorite soap or one of their favorite soaps. And I became so much more than just the disabled veteran. Then I started to get a little confidence in it and, and become a little bit more confident and secure myself into the point when I got on dancing. Well, shit, that just opened it up completely because yeah. now I'm showing everybody that I'm almost completely opposite end of what you would perceive a disabled veteran is capable of doing. Oh my God. Yeah. Completely on the opposite end. You exploded with joy every single time. And I have to be honest with you. I felt like I fractured my hip just watching you <laughs> dance. <laughs> I still have hip issues today. Every single week. Not only did you show your discipline because that's a fuckload of work. <laughs> For sure. First of all, yeah. any TV show, it's so much work. That's and then true. the physicality of Dancing with the Stars, I would imagine. But you were such an embodiment of joy and discipline. And you were always present. And I think that's a whole nother thing that we can get into. Yeah. But the thing that I wanted to tie back into is my first question when we started, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe this goes back to the practice theme that we're discussing, that when you go through what you've gone through and you've had the ability to have a very grounded and authentic perspective of being able to see who you are with your truth versus the eyes of society and understanding what really matters versus the noise of every day. But having gone through a devastating crisis that you went through and surviving it, it gives you a different perspective. Again, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, so you correct me if I'm wrong. It's interesting to hear you say that during COVID, you also had to, again, slow it all down and reframe your priorities. Yeah, because they shift, right? They shift. What was my priorities 19 years ago? Yeah. It was a different priority three years after that, different priority maybe one year after that, different priority now, and what my priorities are two years ago different than they are today and what they are today probably changes six months. However, even though the different my energy, my focus shifts, I can still stay true to the things that are the foundational things that I want to implement and bring with me everywhere that I go. So for me, I want to be busy and I like being busy and, I, and it's just kind of my personality to be busy. However, I now am better equipped that I'm not going to overwhelm myself to the point where I neglect my health. And when I mean my health, I mean my mental health. Yes. I mean my physical health. But I'm also not going to neglect the opportunity. And part of my mental health is being with my family. Oh. I want to be able to show up for my family. And I want to be able to like just have a good time and laugh and just be a family man. So I'm going to sit here and be busy again. I know that. But I'm also not going to sit here and overwhelm myself to the point where I'm going to neglect those important components of my life. And it's funny because I spent a lot of time just saying yes and I had to be conditioned and learn, and I'm still learning how to say no. That's a very tricky place to be and a very tricky thing to learn how to do, but it's so empowering when you can learn how to say no and, and just say no. It doesn't have to be no because 
I can't know because it's like that, like my daughter, we always laugh. There's that, that video, of this little kid, and I don't know what it's from, but he like starts talking and he's like, have you ever had a dream that, that, and, 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 and that, and, and he just goes on for a minute, just stuttering, can't figure it out. And it doesn't have to be this thing of, oh no, because that, 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 that it's, no, I can't. Yeah. I just can't period. It's and hard I, though. It's hard. I get it. It's challenging. But at the end of the day, it's the thing that we have to be able to learn how to do so we can essentially take care of ourselves. For me, doing that work back then was so critical for me to learn how to, for me to identify that there were things that I needed to work on. And by trying to look for distraction, which is essentially what I was doing, was being distracted by everything in the world. Yeah. That wasn't doing anything for me. What I needed to do was find a way and some time for me to take care of me. And I think that's the biggest thing that I still do to this day is I still, I make time. It doesn't have to be like, okay, I got to separate one hour to be downstairs. No, if I'm driving to the airport, I don't put on a podcast. I don't put on music. I just sit there. If the weather's beautiful, I put the windows down. If I'm on a plane, I put on headphones, I put on noise cancellation so I don't hear all the other nonsense going on around me, but I don't put on anything and I just listen to myself. That's the most important thing you, you should be listening to is yourself from time to time. You don't have to do it all the time. You become a little crazy because you, your thoughts, right? Yeah. But listen, after dancing was over, that was an incredible experience. I'd do it all over again. However, it propelled me and put me on a different place from a status, I guess, component. Yeah. Like I was three years on a soap opera. I could still walk down the street in Manhattan. I was three months on Dancing with the Stars. And I literally, after I was done the next day or two days later, I was in Manhattan. Yeah. And I was in Soho walking around. All of a sudden, somebody spotted me and it became this flock of people surrounding me. And I was like, what's happening? It put me on a different place. And so what happened was I started becoming reactive. I stopped becoming proactive. I became very reactive to opportunities that were coming. People would call and do this. this. Cool, 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 cool. I was just responding, reacting. That's all I was doing. That was a great place to be in, but I gave up all the control. I had no more control anymore. And then in 2015, so four years after dancing, it all stopped. I panicked. And I was like, what happened? I was busy. And what do I need to change? What do I need to do? I panicked. What I realized in that moment was, oh, I spent all this time being reactive. I'm not being proactive. I need to go back to being proactive. And just started taking control again. We're always faced with the same things over and over. They just come in different phases of our lives. Mm. It's just a test to see if we're still going to stay true to those very things. And so for me, it was just a matter of, okay, cool. I get it. I got to pay attention to me. I got to listen to me. What matters to me at this point? And what didn't matter to me back then was like all the events. What mattered to me was being with my daughter. That's what mattered to me. So when I put that focus first and foremost, then things started happening. Then events started coming. Then opportunities started presenting. But how quickly we forget. And I found myself roped into this craziness again. (laughs) And I had to learn again. Right. And it's just this constant practice. And as long as you keep becoming hyper aware of it, self-aware of all of this, I think you allow yourself to figure it out a lot sooner than maybe other people have. It's amazing. I think at 38 years old, I think that I've done a pretty decent job. I think you've done a very good job. I think there's a lot of people (laughs) in their 50s that still can't 
they don't even have an awareness to this. Yeah. And I get that because there's a lot of noise in the everyday, like you said, but still the importance of slowing down and listening. And it's interesting, you're saying listening to yourself. Mm-hmm. That is hard to do because there's just so much going on in your brain, or at least my brain, mm-hmm. that it's hard to siphon out outside messaging versus inside and then finding the clarity somehow between the two. It's always a delicate dance, at least for me. So I find it wonderful to hear that you're able to do it and that you're still practicing because it's not a perfect craft, unfortunately. I wish that it was a perfect craft. I wish it was. I wish it was a one-time decision and then you just sail from that point. But that's just not the way it is. Let's go with that metaphor sailing. The winds always change. You essentially can throw your, whatever the hell that thing is called, but you throw that blanket up. and (laughs) Said from two city folk. Oh, God. Where would we end up? Where would we end up? My God. But literally, the wind is constantly changing. And so I just think the reason why I'm saying this so much is because I want people to say, give yourself grace too. Just because you felt like you've addressed this, just because you felt like you've learned this lesson and you're back in it, Give yourself some grace. We have to unlearn a lot of the things that we were beaten into our heads, right? Beaten into our hearts. So we have to learn those things and it takes time to do that. But as long as you can continue to come back to that place of, I know what I got to do. Let me take a small little step today. A year from now, that's not a small step. That becomes the biggest step you've ever taken in your life. But the key is... Stop thinking about it so much that you don't even take a fucking step. No, I hear you. You got to start taking a step. And so give yourself grace. I, I I give myself grace all the time. I'm like, damn it, JR, better, man. Hey, JR, give yourself grace. It's all right. You can't figure all this out. It's a tough lesson. It's a though. tough lesson. Yeah. But it's something that if we don't give ourselves grace to show up in that way, no one else is going to do it. The world's conditioned to judge us and beat us down. There's very few people in this world, unfortunately, that operate from a place of, I'm going to uplift you. I'm going to unconditionally love you, unconditionally support you. Very few people do that. If you can find those people in your world that, that encourage you to cry, just lean into that. Look, I have to say that just through all of this, and I need to take those lessons with me because sometimes I feel like I've already done this. Why do I need to do this again? I'm exhausted by the cycle of some of the things that continue to come up. Let's put it this way. So I am going to take that lesson with me. But the one thing I do want to bring up, your sense of gratitude and giving back is not something that you have ever lost sight of. I feel like from everything that I've read, this is a priority in your life, not just with your nonprofit work, because you do a lot of work with the nonprofit sector and giving back. But I think more importantly, it's your sense of gratitude and the person you are in the world. Can you talk about your sense of gratitude and what you continue to do every single day and why that's important? Because I want to make a distinction here, and I think it's very important. Earlier, when you talked about listening to yourself and doing what you want to for yourself, it is not necessarily about being selfish. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are doing things for themselves too, self serving. And there's a distinction between that and also giving back to others and always giving back to others. Can you talk about why that's important to you and what you can encourage others to do and why that's important? Yeah, great question. It comes from two places. There are people that don't get the opportunity to try 
to go for. Right. There are family members that are never going to see their loved one go for it. Right. I've seen what death looks like. I was that close to it. Yeah. For me, I'm just like, I know how quickly life can be taken away from you. I'm not going to waste another moment. I'm not going to waste another moment. Why I go so hard in everything that I do is because I'm trying to maximize every moment, every day, right? Sort of the foundational thing that sort of drives me. Yeah. Then I start building stuff on top of that. The next thing that I operate that I built onto that foundation, the first floor per se that the rest of the house sits on is I operate from this place of service. Everything for me is about service yeah. and, and service looked one way when I was in the military and I believe that that was service. Then as I got out of the military, I identified that service can be in anything. Any form. Any form, exactly. Like any uniform, any profession, we all serve each other. We all serve people. Everything that I've done, even from the entertainment standpoint, every time I went on All My Children and had a scene, every time I did something for Dancing with the Stars... I was like, I'm serving. That's literally the way that I that presented it to myself was like, I am representing and I'm serving my, the people I represent. Right. So everything that I do is not just about me. It's bigger than me. I am a firm believer that I'm just a vessel being utilized to do the work that is needed that I'm supposed to be doing in this world. And those are the two things that just drive me every single day. But it fulfills you and you can see that it's not necessary. Yes, it's work, but it is really who you are, JR. Like, yeah, there is a lightness that radiates from you. I tell people, it's like, I truly love and it's my passion when I get the opportunity to have conversation with people, like being on stage and speaking to people. I love doing that. I actually enjoy it. I know there's people that don't, but what I don't enjoy, even though I enjoyed that, I don't enjoy getting on a plane to get to you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't enjoy staying in a hotel to get to you. Right. I don't enjoy trying to figure out where I'm going to eat in this damn town. I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy being away from my family. I don't enjoy like my health, like my physical health, like, oh, sitting on a plane is not good for yeah. my body, et cetera. I don't enjoy all of those things. And as much as I can allow those things to take over and allow me to show up and not give my best and be a hundred percent, well, that's part of it. But I'm going to push that off to the side because that 60 minutes or 45 minutes, whatever I'm slotted to be on stage in front of those people, that's why I do it. Anything you're going through in your particular profession in life, you just got to be like, I hate getting on calls. I hate doing the emails. I hate being on a plane. I hate hotels, blah, blah. I get all that. But that moment when you get an opportunity to be in front of somebody, that should be the moment that essentially outweighs all of the other shit. And your opportunity to pass on the positive lessons that you not only talk about, but you live, JR. And that's so important is to exemplify all of the truths It's really inspiring. So both on a professional level and a personal level, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I I appreciate you so much. So listen, I'm going to ask you, even though I want to hang out with you all day. So I'm going to ask you to sign us off. I ask all of my guests, let me know who you are and what you represent. Let's do it. So JR, will you sign us off? My father left when I was nine months old. My mother raised me. Um, There was a lot of abuse in my home. Men that my mother dated. It was a kid that grew up in poverty. And for a long time, I just sort of believed that that was going to be it. That was going to be the rest of my life. And then I became a disabled veteran and that became my identity. And I just sort of believed, well, I'm just, I guess I'm going to fit that mold. 
then over time, because I've been very self-aware and I've taken pauses to talk to myself and figure out some things and be open to other people in the world, identify my triggers and identify what I need to heal, I have become someone that is now of a husband, that is a father. By definition of a lot of people may be successful. I'm creating new cycles. We can all rewrite the story. We all have the ability to do it is whether are you willing to do it. So I am J.R. Martinez, and I represent Cycle Breakers. I'm still so blown away by J.R. His life force, spirit, and positivity are truly inspiring. Thank you, J.R., for your time, energy, and bright light. You guys, go check out his podcast. It's called Rebirth. It will inspire you to not only overcome the hardships you're facing, but also love and appreciate your life. And I know you're going to want to follow him on social, so I'll have his links in the episode description. If you like this episode, share and subscribe and spread that positivity and hope around. There's plenty of it on all Reppin' episodes, so download them all. I'd love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or wherever you're getting the goods. Now, do we have any Blacklist fans out there? You're in for a treat because I've got Laura Sohn, who played Agent Alina Park. I think I'm someone who very much roots for the underdog. It's important to me because I, I sometimes feel like an underdog. So if I treat everyone like an underdog, then I will automatically give them the space to be able to speak their piece. Hey, my name is Laura Stone, and my episode of Reppin' is coming up next. I had a blast with Laura, and you gotta learn more about this talented, amazing person. I love hearing from you guys, so hit me up with questions, what you agreed with or disagreed with. And you can find me on Twitter at Reppin Podcast and Instagram at Reppin underscore podcast. Thank you always to Nelson Pinero and Gracie Kong. Reppin is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Until next time, stand up and represent. Hang on, everyone. I wanted to give a shout out to the guys over at Phantom Jukebox. Make sure you go check them out. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty. And I'm Joe. And we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, its myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. We discuss things like, did Elvis fake his own death? Is Stevie Wonder really blind? Is Dolly Parton's husband actually real? Find out all that and more on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite streaming service. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.